Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, and then we're going to move into Ephesians chapter 5. And here, here's what we're going to do. Now, we're, we're in the middle of a new series that we just started last week. Talking, uh, The series is called Man Up. And uh, today, here's what we're going to do. Today, male and female alike, we're going to stand in front of the mirror. And, and I just, I, I'll tell you how I hope this goes, but this is true every Sunday, because really that's what the Word of God is. It's a mirror. It shows us where we, are, where we measure up and where we don't measure up. And, and every Sunday we stand in front of a mirror. Every time we look in the Word, we stand in front of the mirror. And, and every Sunday I have similar hopes. Uh, but here's how I hope it, it goes this morning. And I, I can't control how it goes, but I'm just going to tell you how I hope it goes. It could go this morning, looking at what we're looking at, it can go one of three ways. You can stand in front of the mirror and hate what you see and, and get discouraged and walk away from it and, and just let yourself go. Or you can look in the mirror and, and hate what you see and start taking steps toward who you want to be, even if they're small steps. And, and for some of you, you may be able to look in the mirror and be able to say, you know what, I've come a long way. I'm getting better. I haven't arrived, but I've come a long way. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Now, I hope that you'll do one of the latter two, not the first one. Now, uh, would you uh, just take a moment and before we get into the word, just bow your head and let's just ask for the Lord's blessing on this. Lord, as we look into your word today, I pray God that you would make it come alive. I pray Jesus that you would speak to us. I pray God that you would challenge us. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you would change us deep within Lord God, because it's not about uh, outward small things, but God, it's about a change of heart. And I just pray God that you'd help us. You'd help us to hear what you're saying to us, Lord God. And, um, and that we would respond in a way, God, that we're, where we just surrender to your voice. And I'm believing you for that. I know that we're going to hear from you today. I, I trust you for that. I've asked you for that. And we believe you for it. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not going to recap very much of last week's message. If, uh, if you missed it and you, you want to catch up, it's on our website. You can go to restorationlifechurch.tv and you can go... Click on the uh, sermons and you can watch it or you can listen to it. Both audio and the video uh, uh, versions are on there. But let's just dive in today. In, in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, what's happened up to this point in the story is that God created the entire world and then he, then he planted the Garden of, Eden, Garden of Eden and he put the man in the Garden of Eden. And this is what we talked about last week. And then he tells him to cultivate the garden, to cultivate the world to work the ground. And last week we talked about how that men and women are created equal. We are, we are equal, but we are created distinctly. That is that men and women are different. And that's really easy to see if you just watch children. You, you don't have to be a sociologist or some kind of brilliant academic, but all you have to do is, is watch. Because, I mean, you know, listen, boys build stuff and then knock it over. And girls, you get them two objects and they make them friends. That's just, just what they do. That they, they don't even have to be real objects. They just, that's just what they do. Build, boys build, kick, and knock over. And, and, and girls like relationship. And they're much more verbal. And, and we talked about it last week. But, but there, and we, we, we mentioned the fact that there's always some crossover. But on the whole, men have been, desi been designed by God to be build, builders and cultivators. And we talked uh, last week that because of the fall, everything man is supposed to cultivate will at times war against him. And, and so it's going to be difficult to be what God created a man to be. And if you missed all that, you can go listen to it. And I think it'll help men. If you've ever wondered 
why it's so hard to do the things that you're supposed to do, you need to watch last week's message because it's about the fact that, that when God cursed men, I, didn't, I said I wasn't going to review much, but here I am doing it. Uh, but when, after, this, after sin, after the fall of man, God cursed, spoke to the serpent and cur- cursed him. God spoke to Eve and, and cursed Eve. But when he spoke to Adam and cursed him, he did something very interesting because he didn't just curse him. He cursed the land that he was supposed to cultivate. He said, it's going to give you thorns and thistles, even though you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And that's what happens in our lives. That the very things, when we try to cultivate godly things and the right things in our lives, at times that will war against us. And maybe that helps answer some questions in your life and you can stop beating yourself up and realize, man, this is a struggle that's been going on since the Garden of Eden. But you can listen to the whole message last week, from last week on the message. But today... What we're going to talk about today is a different aspect. We're going to be talking about men as husbands. Um, And and I'm just going to tell you this. I told uh, Dustin and Jason last night, a message like this is one of the most difficult for me to preach because when I preach about being a godly husband, the problem with it is I know where I fall short. And so it makes it hard to preach because it makes you begin to feel like a hypocrite. But I'm not trying to stand up here and say that I have mastered all these things. I'm just trying to tell you, this is what the Bible says we we should be shooting for. And this is what I'm shooting for in my life, even though I often fall short of the mark. Anybody here besides me fall short of the mark? Okay, thank you. I feel much better about my life now. But let's pick pick the story up starting in verse 18, Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone, and every man in the world said, Amen. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, I think it's very interesting, right there, we'll pause for a second, that before the fall occurs, this is before the the sin, before the, the fall of man, before the fall occurs, before sin enters the world, God watches the man cultivate. He sees him doing the work that God put him there to do, and a man's doing what God has called him to do, and God looks at it all and he goes, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, uh-uh, no, no, this is not good for this guy to be alone. And it's interesting to note that that is not part of the fall. So let's look at the answer to that, verse 19. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So God says, this man needs help. If he's going to be the cultivator, if he's going to be the builder that I, that I created him to be, that I designed him to be, he needs help. So God uh, brings every animal imaginable to the man. He's created all of these creatures. He brings them all to man to see what he's going to call them. He names them all. And out of everything in all of creation that he sees, there's nothing that is found that is suitable to help the man be the full-on cultivator that God created him to be. So, so let's watch this, verse 21. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said this, and it's kind of funny because he suddenly breaks into, you know, prose, you know, poetry, and he's like singing. He starts singing this song. And so 
So all of creation, he's seen every animal prayed before him, and he's like, okay, that's a lion, that's a bear, that's an elephant, all over. And then all of a sudden, a woman comes in front of him, and he breaks into song. So this is different. So he, he, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And in verse 25 is the happiest it's ever been on planet Earth. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Hasn't been a happier moment than that in the history of the world. So God says, this man needs help becoming the cultivator that I've designed him to be. He needs the woman. And he creates the woman to help the man become all that God created him to be before, before the fall, before any of that. And see, that's what we have to understand when it comes to marriage. We're really both designed to help each other be what God created us to be. And this is very interesting. And I, I, I do want to say something to any single men and women that, that may be watching this or listening to this. There, there are some really weird things that have happened among evangelicals in, the, in recent years. Uh, in, in this moment, God sees that it's not good for man to be alone, creates the woman, and in so doing, he creates marriage. He says, it's not good for man to be alone, for this man to become all that I want him to be. I'm going to give him woman, and then woman combined with man will make him the cultivator, the builder that I want him to be. But what's happened, something strange has happened in the evangelical circles over the last several years that, that uh, where, where if you're single... They say you're not supposed to, you're supposed to not want to get married, uh, but to be content in that spot, and that that's somehow more glorifying than to follow the way God's wired you to be, to want to mate. So in the end, what ends up happening, if you buy into that, you start walking around like a liar. I mean, there, there are a lot of poor, young, young little ladies, young ladies that have, have been told this, as soon as you're content, God will send you a man. And so you've got hundreds of thousands of women running around trying to act content. And they're like, I'm content. Where is he? <laughs> you know, uh, and, and you just and, and you get guys going, you know, I'm just going to I'm just going to wait for God to bring me the right one. Well, I've got something to say to that. You, you ain't waiting for God to bring you dinner. You go cook it. Right. You know, so. And, and, and listen, I'm not saying go, go hunting, you know, all camouflaged up at Bed Bath & Beyond, you know, the, hey, he's a, that's a thousand count sheet, uh, a thread sheet, isn't it? Yeah, I like that. No, let's, that'd be really weird. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying you don't just sit back and be lazy and say, God, do whatever you want to do. You, you get involved, you know. Uh, by the way, the best place to find a spouse is in church. Uh, second best place is Bible college. That didn't work for me. Uh, I didn't find it in Bible college, but now I'm just rambling. But, but I, all that to say, listen, if you are single, there is nothing wrong, sinful, or wicked about desiring a spouse. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how you're wired. Anybody who would say otherwise is absolutely lying to you. God wired you for that. He built you for that. So, so uh, I, and listen, I do think you need to be content with where you are. That's not what I'm saying. Um, it's important to be content with where I am today, but that doesn't mean that I, that there isn't any longing for something more, right? I'm going to give an example. I'm content with what Christ is doing in me today, right? But I don't want to be who I am today forever. Does that make sense? 
I'm hoping for Christ to complete what he began. So I can be content in the moment at the same time realizing that there is something more and it's okay to want that something more. It's okay to want a wife. It's okay to want a husband. Those are, those are, are really good things. That's all part of God's design. Okay, so now back to what we're talking about today. God created woman to be a helper because it wasn't good for man to be alone. He needed help to do what God created him to do. Now, the difference, all these animals come parading before Adam. The difference between the other animals that God created and the woman was that Adam had complete dominion over everything else that God created. What does that mean? Well, I think it means, in a simple way, it means that he said to the cow, he said, you're a cow. And the cow did not look back and say, I ain't no cow. Who are you calling a cow? Right? He just, the cow just took it and walked off and is a cow to this day. But the woman can talk back. And I don't mean in the sense of sassiness or anything like that. What I'm saying is that now for the first time, there is the potential for real relationship. Because listen, you know, you can love an animal. We have, a, we have a, a little dog that we love dearly. But it's not the same kind of relationship that I have with my daughters. Does this, does this make sense to anybody? So now for the first time, there's this real relational aspect occurring that has not occurred outside of Adam's relationship with God so far in all of creation. So now all of a sudden, there's relationship to be had. So here's the question that, that we're going to set out to answer today. How does this relationship work? How do we do this that God is talking about in a fallen and a broken world? Specifically in this broken world, how do we do this? How are we to be husbands? How are, are, are you to be wives? That, that takes us to the hard part. So let's go over to Ephesians chapter 5. What I want to do is I want to basically read through the whole text and then we're going to come back and chat about different parts of it. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now that is Right there, we're going to pause. That is a wildly unpopular idea in today's culture. But we're going to, we're going to get into it. But I'll just say a couple of things. One of the reasons it's unpopular is because we don't understand what it means to submit. We don't, we don't get it. We don't understand. I wasn't planning on talking about this. But listen, to submit uh, means that you speak your mind what you fully and truly believe. And then you trust the one in authority to make the right decision. That's what it means to submit. You cannot submit without telling, without speaking your mind. See, a lot of men have twisted it and said when the wife speaks up and says, well, I don't know if we should do that. Hey, keep your mouth shut. The Bible says submit to me. No, no, no. No, that's not it at all. That's not what the Bible's talking about. She, if she speaks her mind to you, that's the first step in submission, right? You cannot submit unless there is a difference of opinion. Really? Okay, that's, so that's the first thing. We don't understand the whole concept of, of submit. The second thing is we struggle with that because men struggle with doing their part that we're about to read. 
Because he goes on, and we're going to read it, uh, and uh, we're going to read it in just a moment uh, about uh, how men are supposed to love their wives like Christ loved the church. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to explain because, listen, if a man loves you that way, one thing you're going to know is that every decision he makes is going to be for your benefit. Because everything Christ does is to redeem you, to redeem the church. So we'll talk about that. And I also want to say uh, that, uh, that, that, that everywhere in the scriptures where it addresses marriage, it always deals with the woman first. Always, and I'll explain why when we get to into some of the Proverbs, in ver, uh, but, but let's read from, on from verse 25, because here's the part for the men, and this is the part we're going to spend much more time on. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without splot, splot, spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Now, I mentioned earlier a moment ago, the scripture always begins with the woman, because no man can lead a woman who refuses to follow. I don't care what kind of leadership training you have. I don't, you can be General Patton. I don't care who you are. You're not going to lead a woman who absolutely refuses to follow you. So, and, and, and while we're on the subject, uh, I'll tell you that scriptures are very, very clear that, that there, are, there are two kinds of wives. Did you know that there are two kinds of wives, basically? Proverbs 12.4 says this, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. There is a type of wife that speaks life into her husband in such a way that she is the crown jewel of all that he accomplishes and all that he does in life. However, there is another type of wife that's like a cancer eats away at a man's masculinity. By, by belittling, belittling him, by attacking him, by chiseling away at him at every opportunity she gets. So, uh, and, and honestly, Proverbs just constantly just sort of just dogs the woman, this, this type of woman constantly. The book of Proverbs says this, and this is what it says in different places. It says that it's better for a man to live on his roof than it is for him to live with a woman who constantly belittles and berates him. In other places, it says it's better for a man to die in the desert. Now, now listen, if I make a list, if I get to make a list of the ways I want to die, slowly cooking to death in the desert is not even going to make the top 40. That's how I feel about it. But it says that it's better for a man to go out into the desert and die slowly than to live in the house with a woman who constantly nitpicks and attacks him. Scriptures say that a woman like that is like a dripping faucet. And I heard that and I thought, well, you know, that doesn't really seem too bad. I mean, dripping faucets don't bother me too much. But then I suddenly realized I had an epiphany and suddenly realized, wait a minute. Don't some governments use that to torture people? <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you, you think about it. You're gonna, if, if you're torturing, you're trying to get top secret information out of them. How are we going to do this? 
Well, we're going, to, we're going to drip water on their head and just going to nag the soul out of them. Nag, 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 nag. I'll be back in 10 years. Nag, nag, nag. Right? I'll do, at the end of that, you're like, I'll do whatever, I'll tell you whatever you want. So Proverbs say, says, loving a woman like this is like trying to grab hold of oil. It says that loving a woman like this is like trying to stop the wind. So, so all that to say that women, you need to understand that for the men to become the men God created them to be, to be the husbands they created, created to be, God created them to be, you do have a part in this. And how you treat your husband is going to go a long way to determining whether or not he can fulfill his potential as a man the, the, to be a husband that God called him to be. So that, that has a big part of it. But, but I also don't want to say, men, that excuses you. Because if your wife doesn't do that, we're going to learn in a few minutes you're still not off the hook. But there are certain women who destroy certain men's chances at manhood altogether. And I, I mean, they just absolutely take it away from him. And then, and then they're very verbal about complaining about their man's lack of ability to be a man while they continually emasculate him. It's just a weird, weird, weird process. And, and listen, if there are any ladies that are really, really upset with me right now, um, I'm just reading the, telling you what the proverb says. That's all I'm doing right now. So I guess you have to deal with that with, between you and God. But So there are some women, as we said, who really hate the idea of submission. One, I think the biggest reason is because we don't understand it. But I also believe that, that that is an easier task than the one he lays on the shoulders of the man. Let's pick it up in verse 25. We read it a moment ago. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Okay, so here's what he throws on the man in this scenario. He comes to the woman and he says, in this relationship that I've built out, you're going to submit to Christ-like leadership. And then to the man, he says, you're going to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. And so you just start running with the, through that. How does Christ love the church well he rescues her he saves her he becomes sin for her he he allows his body to be ripped apart for her he lays his life down for her but he, but here's the kicker and here's here's what i want to spend the time on this today because we know what christ the things that christ did but but i want you to notice this christ does all of that not because the bride asked him to do it but he initiates all of that on his own. He initiates it. That's what Christ does. And that's what I think is so big about this text. The bride doesn't come to Jesus and go, I need saving. So, you know, if you get a chance, the bride doesn't come to Jesus and say, if you save me, then I'll worship you. The bride doesn't come to Jesus and say, save me and I'll love you forever. I really need help. And if you do save me, then I'll write some really great songs on acoustic guitar for you. And I'll, I'll do everything you say for the rest of my life. That's not what happened. The church, the bride, could not have cared less about Christ. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. And yet, Christ initiates the salvation of his bride. What does this mean? I believe it means that as a husband, to love my wife the way Christ loved the church, it means that men have the responsibility to initiate. Men are called to initiate in their marriage, initiate the the fight for wholeness, to initiate the fight for healing. Initiate, initiate, initiate. Because far too many women are the initiators in relationships and in homes. And let let me tell you why I think this is such a big deal and why I think it's nearly impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. Let me me just give you a quick example of what I'm talking about, uh, of how it sort of plays out. The Bible is very, very clear. You probably read it, you probably heard it, that, that one of the worst things you can do as a married couple is to let the sun go down on your anger. Right? You remember, you've heard that verse. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And the, and the reason for that is because if you, as a married couple, if you go to bed and you have not put the, dealt with the anger and the, uh, the argument you just had, then what happens is you'll lie in bed and she'll face this way and, and you'll face this way and, and, and then you'll let that root of bitterness just start growing down between the two of you. In fact, You'll even help it go down. You'll drill it down. You'll think, be lying to yourself thinking, oh, she doesn't respect me. Oh, I can't believe her. Blah, blah, blah. And you go through those all things. And all the while, she's doing the same thing. And the root of bitterness then begins to grow and grow and grow and grow in that marriage. And that's what happens when you do that. And the Bible says to us, it says, hey, don't let that happen. You need to nip it in the bud before the root of bitterness can begin to grow. You need to deal with the anger. You need to deal with what's happening. You need to find a place where you can bring some healing into that relationship. You need to not go to bed angry. You need to, with all of your might, try to resolve it before you go to bed at night tonight. And I believe what we're learning today, I think that the weight of that falls on the man. A lot of times we men, we sit there and wait for our wife to initiate. But it falls on us. And I know some of you, you're sitting there and you're saying, Hoskins, you you just don't know my wife. You don't know my wife. I've seen your wife. She's, she's all beautiful and sweet and all, and, and you just have a great, but, 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 but listen, two days ago, I saw fire shoot out of my wife's eyes and kill a puppy. <laughs> I don't know. And the puppy was just howling and, and screaming and she was like, ha, 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 you, just, you don't know my wife. But here's what I would tell you biblically. If your wife in that moment is facing this way and you're facing that way and she is 99.999% at fault, she's to blame, it falls on you, man, to to roll over, tap her on the shoulder and say, I don't want to go to bed like this. I need to apologize for my 0.001%. No, don't say the numbers. It'll just go really badly for you. I'm kidding. Don't say the numbers. Don't say the numbers. But I, but I would do this. I would, say, I would say, Julie, before we try to go to sleep today, I know you're angry. I'm angry. I need to apologize for, I hand, for how I handled what happened earlier. 
I didn't respond in love. I reacted. I said things I didn't mean. I need to apologize for that. And then it's over. Now listen, I'm, I'm here, full disclosure. There have been times I've done that in our relationship and times that I haven't. So I'm not telling you that I've achieved this, but I'm saying this is what the Bible says we should be shooting for. And it's over. Now, in that situation, I, I don't go, I need to apologize for how I responded earlier. I, I just wasn't godly. I wasn't who I want to be. I reacted rather than responded. I, I'm, I apologize. Will you forgive me? Now, do you have anything you want to say to me? No? Oh, well, then I take it back. Now, the responsibility is on me to be the initiator, the, the peacemaker in my home, to fight for my wife's healing, my wife's wholeness, to fight for it. Even if I'm 99.999% innocent in the conflict, it falls on me to be the peacemaker, to be the initiator. Because what did Christ do? How did he love us? He took our sins on himself. He didn't say, I'm not dying on this cross. I didn't do it. You did it. You're at fault. You're to blame. That's not what he did. He said, yeah, you're to blame. But I'll bear it. I'll bear it. That's how the husband is to love the wife. We are to initiate. And, and we'll get more into this idea as we continue on in the text. Let's keep reading verse, verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. Now, that's, there's a lot there we're not going to talk about, but the Bible says when, the two become, uh, when you get married, the two become one flesh. And so, therefore, if we're one flesh, if I do love my wife, I am loving my own flesh. Right? But we're not going to talk about that today. But verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Now, let me chat about this because I want to try to explain this idea of loving one's self. I am of the opinion, uh, the older I get, uh, the, the more I work with men in particular, that there are many men in this world today who do not love their wives. They love themselves and, and their wives are a means to an end to get what they want. That's, I know that's a pretty harsh statement, but there are a lot of men that are in that place. And, and what this text is saying is that there, that there are men like that, but that we are to be, we're not to be that type of men. We, we don't love our, our wives because they fill in the blank. We just love our wives. And then, then he doesn't leave that as some ambiguous term. He actually begins to define it. So look at it. How do we do that? How do we love our wives like we love our own bodies? Look at it. Verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. So he says we nourish and we cherish. The word nourish, whenever it's used in the scriptures, almost always, almost always points to parents providing for children. There are one or two instances where it's not talking about parents and children, but it, but it always means to provide for or to bring to maturity. It's all about helping uh, uh, someone else mature. 
And, and so, so when you nourish your children physically, you're helping them grow physically and mature physically. When you nourish something spiritually, it's about helping them become what God created them to be. And so there, there are two things going on here. One is physical and one is spiritual. God calls men to provide for their families. We are to provide food. We are to provide shelter. We are to provide clothing. Uh, that is what we are. We are providers. A lot of men, the problem is we stop there and we think that's all I'm supposed to do, but that's not true. But, 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 but we are supposed to be the providers. Now, I understand there are seasons of time where this gets out of kilter. There are times when a man loses a job or they get laid off and they're actively seeking, seeking another job for whatever reason. And for a season, the wife becomes the primary breadwinner. And I'm not saying that it's wrong for a woman to work outside the house. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying if if a woman works out the house, outside the house, that's between the, the husband and the wife, but that is not her responsibility to make sure that the family is, is fed and taken care of. That's your responsibility, man. That's what I'm saying. It, it, there are times when it, and it changes, you know, there may be a, a man is going to school, he's working on his master's, working on his PhD, doing something like that. And the woman becomes the breadwinner while, while he's doing these, thing, these things. But I also want to say this, and this needs to be said. I don't, I don't, this is not directed to anybody that I see here, but I know that we live in a generation where we have men uh, who, who are really just boys with beards who are, who are, who are more concerned with their own entertainment than anything else. I want to say that it is unbiblical and outright sinful if you are a married man for you to be sitting at home mastering Call of Duty on your PlayStation while your wife is working. That is biblical, that is sinful, it is wicked. Men are, be the, are to be the primary breadwinners for the home. We are to nourish, to provide for. That's, that's the physical side. Most of us, honestly, don't struggle with that that much. But I think there's something else that needs to occur at the spiritual level in terms of nourishment. And this is, this is where we struggle much more. The weight of spiritually feeding the family falls on the man. Men, you're the priest of your home. That's what the Bible says. And I want you to know, even godly men struggle with this one. This has been a fight for me my whole life. We need to take the initiative in our homes to gather the family together for prayer, to gather the family together for the word, to, to gather the family together and to talk about who Christ is and what he's, what he's like and what he's done. And listen, I'm not saying, I don't think you have to take, take your family and walk through a, a, a full-blown you know, study of the book of Revelation or, or walk through the 16 fundamental truths of the assemblies of God. I, I, I think it can just be a three-minute long reading of a psalm, but, but men need to take leadership of that. They need to initiate that. And, and, and I can tell you why most of us don't. Most of us don't do it because you can't feed your family when you're starving to death yourself. You, you don't have anything to give them. You're not feeding yourself. You're not disciplined enough to pursue the Lord yourself. So how in the world are you, are you ever supposed to feed your family spiritually? But this is God's command. And, and listen, I, I know some that, that just don't take me seriously on this. When I started saying man's the primary breadwinner, they're like, oh, we got all this old-fashioned stuff. You may think I you know, came from out in the woods somewhere, but, and you don't take me seriously. But, 
you know, when, when I look at how God responds to, to men who fail to lead their, lead their wives, he almost always wants to have a conversation with them that they do not want to have. I mean, what happened in the garden? God shows up in the garden of Eden after the fall of man. He, he starts walking through the garden and when he confronts them, what happens? He's like, um, Adam, what happened? He didn't talk to Eve, not till after he talked to Adam. He held the man accountable. And did you know, by the way, when you read the account in, the, in Genesis, it's very clear that when Eve was being tempted, that Adam was right there and did nothing. That's why the man was held accountable. God says, God says, Adam, this was, this was your, your fault. This is your responsibility. That's why you bear some weight in this. Nourish, nourish. But that's only one. Verse 29. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Now, the word cherish is used only one other time in the entire Bible. And that's when Paul is talking about his relationship with the church. And he basically says to a church, he says, I took care of you gently like a mother taking care of her children. So, so to cherish something means that you treat it gently, that you treat it like a treasure. You don't treat it carelessly when you cherish something. You know, like if I said, this is a silly, you know, remote for... For the TVs here or something. But if I said, if I said to you, man, this is a family heirloom. This is, this is priceless to me. This means more to me than anything in all the world. And then I just went like that. Guess what? You don't believe that I cherish that, do you? Because I'm not going to treat something that I cherish. I hope I didn't break it. We got another one. We got a spare one. So we're good. You don't believe I cherished it. Because I treated it carelessly. I treated it roughly. I didn't treat it gently. You have the same idea occurring in 1 Peter 3 when, when Peter calls women the weaker vessel. And I know there's some women that just hate that verse. But, but it's not an idea. The idea in there is not that they're, that they're, that they're uh, weaker in the sense that they you know, can't bear as much that life throws on them. That's not what it's talking about. Weaker there, the weaker vessel is, re is a reference to porcelain. It says women are like porcelain. They're, they're weaker in that they're more fragile, that you can hurt them. They feel things differently. They feel things more deeply than most of us men do. And so he says, watch what words come out of your mouth towards them. Watch how you touch them. Watch how you handle them. They're not to be handled verbally or physically rough. They are precious. They are fragile like porcelain. Treat your wife like that. That's what he's saying. And I, again, I think this plays out physically and I think it plays out spiritually. I mean, I, I, how, how does this play out physically? Obviously, it means, you know, that you, you don't push your wife around, you don't hit her. That's, that's obvious. But I think there's some other things. And I think we could go on and on and on with examples. But how do you cherish your wife? Well, here, here's a couple of great easy ways, man, that you can do this. Number one, touch her. Touch her. There, did you know that God has designed the majority of women, not all of them, but the majority of women to feel and receive love through quality time or physical touch? And I'm not just talking about sexual touch. I'm talking about physical touch. Think cuddling on the sofa. So that's one way. Hold her hand, grab her, touch her, 
Put, put your arm around her once in a while. I, I could do so much better with this myself personally. But here's the second thing. Choose to be there. Choose to be there. Just be there. Now listen, I know you, you love your hobbies. I, I know you love them. You, do you, do you, want to know how, you want to know an unbelievably easy way to get in good with your wife, men? Just say no. Just say no. Answer the phone and, and go, oh, oh yeah, you guys are going fishing? Oh, uh, well, no, I, no, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to stay with my girl. You, you guys have fun. And, and she, you hang up. She said, who is that? Oh, that was Billy and the boys. They're just going to go fishing for eight or nine hours. And, and I really like fishing. You know that. But I like you more. Now, how easy was that? I mean, that's not being creative. That's not going out and spending money and buying gifts. That's not, you know, that's just not drowning a worm for eight hours on a Saturday so that you can spend time with your wife. That's all it is. I don't think it's very complex. I, 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 I think it's really kind of easy. Cherish. But I also think this cherishing idea holds true not only physically but also spiritually. You need to find out what the Lord is doing in your wife and then you need to build it up every way you can. Find out what the Lord's doing in your wife. Find out what he's saying to her. Find out what, she, what he's working in her. And then begin to build it up in every way you can. We need to be asking our wives. And it, it'll feel really awkward at first, man. I'm just here to tell you. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But you need to be asking your wife, what's the Lord doing in your heart? What's going on spiritually in you? How is he, how is he working in you? And then when we hear the answer, we need to do everything in our power to nurture the work of the Holy Spirit in her. I think a man needs to know the pathway by which his wife grows in intimacy with the Lord and then do whatever he can to encourage that. For some, for some uh, women, it's music. You know, they love music. Maybe, maybe that means that, guys, maybe that means you spring for a piano if they're a musician or if they don't play anything, get her a Spotify account so she can listen to all the worship music she wants. You know, if, that's, if she does it through reading, then that means that you, you buy her new books or you get her a new Bible, but you're, you're doing something there to nurture the way that she approaches in, 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 the Lord with intimacy. And when I do that, that's cherishing her walk with the Lord, not just her role with me. It's a big difference. I'm not just cherishing what you can do for me. I'm cherishing your walk with Jesus when I do that. Let, let me speak to something here. Because I, I alluded to it a moment ago, but cherishing and nourishing our wives spiritually and physically is very, very difficult for most men because it creates intimate environments. And I'm here to tell you, ladies, intimate environments are very weird to us. They're very uncomfortable. We don't know what to do because we're afraid that anything we say is going to be the wrong thing. We, it's just weird to us. Intimacy is hard work, and it's easier to walk in a fantasy world than it is to build intimacy. Let, let me tell you how it plays out. And I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but I try to be real. I try to deal with real-life stuff. But, but here's how it plays out. The, the wife goes to bed, and the husband stays up and watches Sports Center, and then it comes on again, and he watches Sports Center again, and then it comes on again, and he watches Sports Center the third time. And, and, uh, and now 
uh, he, he just begins to flip through the channels, and eventually he gets bored with everything that's going on. And before you know it, now I want you to think about the absolute insanity of this. Before you know it, he ends up on his computer looking at images of other naked women when he, when he actually has a real one in the other room. Now, I'm 58 years old, but I'm here to tell you that just does not seem like a good trade to me. Naked women on a screen about which I can fantasize versus a real one in the bedroom about with whom I can find real intimacy. Why is that? It's because sometimes men, they want the pleasure without the intimacy because the intimacy is hard work and it's uncomfortable for them. What you end up getting is a very lonely man who is constantly living in a fantasy world instead of living deeply with their wife. God, God gave us our wives for intimacy and a fulfilling of, uh, for, of that for which he created us in which to walk. And we neglect that for this chick that we saw at the gym that, that looks hot. And so now we're running these scenarios through our head instead of using that creative, brilliant mind to dote on and love and walk in intimacy with our wives. It, it is really a broken, broken, sad thing. But here's, here's what I want to say. No man ever stumbles into intimacy. It just doesn't, well, it just doesn't happen accidentally. You know, no man says, I don't know, I was playing flag football. I came home and next thing I knew I was walking in intimacy with my wife. I don't know what happened. No, it didn't just come out of nowhere. I've never, never, ever met that guy. He does not exist. There, there are definitely men, I understand, that are more sensitive than others, that it comes easier to. There's absolutely no doubt about that, but I've never met that guy who stumbled into intimacy because it has to be thoughtful, it has to be worked at, it has to be fought for. All right, so we're going to close, but what are my hopes? What are my hopes for us? Right now, because I'm aware of how the Holy Spirit works, I think that probably in a lot of our, the men's minds that are here, the, that the Holy Spirit is, he's probably stirring different thoughts and different things in, in different men's hearts in this place. And he's saying to different people, he's saying, you know what, this needs, this needs to be done and that needs to happen and you, you, need, to, you need to give your girl an apology on the way home or you need to sit, sit down with your family today or you, you need to take your wife through this. You need to do this. You need to do that. And, and, and right now, God is just throwing those things into your mind. But here, here's, what I, here's what I know, and this is such a male disease. You'll be thinking to yourself, ah, oh, I, I, need, I need to do that. I need to, I need to talk to my wife. I need to set this up. I need to think about these things. Hey, I didn't know the Cardinals were playing today. And then it's gone. Or whatever it is that captures your attention. And although we know what we should do, we don't because it's awkward and weird to us. And, and honestly, here's the truth. Here's the, the, this is the tricky part about a message like this. Now that I've preached on it, it will feel even more awkward and weird. Because your girl knows that you're doing it because I preached on it. And you know that she knows. And it just gets really weird. But, but here's, here's, I'm here to beg of you today. Husbands, 
will you take some initiative? I'm not saying knock it all out of the ball out of the park right now. I'm not saying get everything right right now. I'm just saying, will you take a step? Will you, will you take some initiative in your relationship with your spouse? Will you do that? Will you have a conversation with her? Will you, will you begin to say, hey, let's pray together before we go to bed every night? Will you sit down and say, okay, it's a family. We, we, need to, we need to just read something. We need to get together. Will you take a step? Just take some initiative. That's what I'm asking you to do. And, and it doesn't have to be complex. Why don't you just once a week just get the family together and read a little Bible passage together and talk. You, you don't have to be a biblical genius. You don't have to have any great insight. In fact, all you have to do is just read the text and then you say, well, what do you think? And then when they're done, you say, me too, let's pray. <laughs> That's all you have to do. Just initiate. Take some initiative. Will you take some initiative? Will you take some initiative in nourishing and cherishing your wife? That's all I'm asking. Just take a step or two. That's all I'm asking. And I want to say this before we close. I want to say to the women, before we close, this is a reminder. Don't demand this of your husband. If you do, you'll destroy any chance he has at becoming this. And let me tell you why. Because if he takes a little bit of initiative and you critique him, or he takes a little bit of initiative and you're, and you're like, it's about time, I've been waiting for this. You, you will shut him down and you will become your worst enemy. You'll put him in a no-win situation where he's trying and yet you continue to hammer him. So ladies, just pray. And when he begins to move and, he's, and the Lord is answering your prayer, just keep praying and thanking the Lord. Maybe later you'll be able to have the conversation and say, you know, when you first started this, it was a huge answer. I was, I've been waiting for that. But if you don't do it, when he starts taking those steps, because you can shut him down. And, and let me give you, wives, another secret. You ready? You, you, you ladies want an insight? You want another secret about your men? You may not believe this, but you have an unbelievably powerful voice when it comes to your man. Like, like here's what I tell you. If if one of you came up to me after the service and, and you cornered me somewhere and you said, and you tell me how, how bad this sermon was and you're never going to come back, listen, I will, be, I will be terribly disappointed, but there's nothing that you're going to say to me that's going to make me lie awake in bed at night and, and go, oh man, I just I can't stand this. You're just not going to be able to do it. You don't have that powerful of a voice in my life. But my wife can with one careless word suck the life right out of me. Or, at the same time, with one encouraging word, she can fill my tank in a way that you could never do. Because in the same way that you can't say something to me that's going to make me lie awake in bed at night, in the same way, there's nothing you can say. As encouraging as it is, and I love to, be, to hear encouraging words, there's nothing that's going to carry the weight that my wife's words carry. It's just not going to happen. You know why? Because she knows me better than you. 
She knows my failure. She knows my shortcomings. And instead of focusing on those and harping me on, on, on those uh, with me, when she speaks that word of encouragement, when she says, man, you know, when you, when you do this for our family, it just means so much. Thank you so much for what you do. Man, that fills my tank. It's just the way it is. All of a sudden, with one word, my tank is full. In spite of what may have happened, may have been a, the worst, most discouraging week at the church that I ever had, but with one word, my wife can encourage me. Wives, here's what I'm asking you. Will you be your husband's advocate? Will you be his advocate instead of making death in the desert a better option than living with you? <laughs> Will you be your husband's advocate? Will you encourage him? Will you just... At random times, just reach over and grab his hand or put your hand on his knee when you're driving down the road and, and just say, hey, thank you for doing this for our family. You do it well. Will you do that? Just let, let the Holy Spirit confront him. He's a lot better at it than you are. You just encourage him. You just pray for him. Man, We've been called by God to be the initiators, to love our wives as Christ loves the church, to nourish and to cherish them. So let's take a step. Let's do something about it. And guys, I want to say this. We're going to close right now. With, with God's help, I want you to know, guys, you can do this. I, I know you, you hear this and it becomes real discouraging because you're like, man, I don't know, I don't know. But listen, with Christ's help, you can do this. You, you can find a treasure in your marriage that goes beyond anything uh, of which you've ever dreamed. You can, you can get past the awkwardness and the weirdness. Jesus will help you, but you have to take the first step. You have to initiate. You can do this. Don't be discouraged. Christ is by your side. He's on your side. And with his help, you can do this. And, and, and here's what you have to know. You have to have the goal. A lot of us guys, we need to see the goal out there. Here's the goal. By doing this, you can have an impact that will reverberate throughout eternity in the lives of your wife and your children and your children's children and their children and their children, generation after generation after generation, because you, as a man of God, said, I'm going to get past my own awkwardness and my own uh, weirdness, and I'm going to do this. You can have an impact no matter what happens? You matter for eternity. You can do this. Let's pray. Father, I just pray you'd help us because we need it. And Lord, I pray against discouragement right now. I pray against the man who, who, who's here and or who's watching this and he feels like he's failed too much. I pray against that, that, that voice that whispers in his, in his ear and says, you, you can't do that. You'll never be able to do that. That's too much. You can't, you, you, you've gone too far the other way. And, and Lord, we, we just bind that spirit. I thank you, God, that there is nothing in this room, no hurt, no betrayal. There is absolutely nothing in this room that you cannot heal and you cannot reconcile. So Lord, I, I just pray you'd help us to believe that. I, I, Lord, I pray for men. I, I know that what we've been called to cultivate will war against us. 
that it's not easy. And I know, God, that this is also much more complicated than I've made it, and it's a lot more difficult than I've made it out to be. Lord God, I know that. But, but I also know, Lord, that you ask us to do nothing for which you don't provide the power. So I just say, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord God. Help us. Give us the, the, the idea. Give us, give us the creativity. Help us, God, to think of a step or two that we can initiate. With heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody's looking around. And this is not, certainly not to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I'm just asking specifically the men of this church. Will you, will you just covenant between you and the Lord and say, Lord, with your help, I'm going to take some steps. I'm going to initiate more than I have. I'm going to, I'm, I hear your voice. You know what he's saying to you. But you're willing to say, okay, Lord, I'm willing. I'll, I'll do something. I'll move forward on this. Would you slip your hand up just for a second? If that's you. All over the room. Yeah, mine's up too. And ladies, you can put your hands down. Ladies, how many of you would say, Pastor, I covenant with God that I will be a voice of encouragement for my husband. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? Yeah, all over the place. Listen, if those two things happen, we're going to see the best marriages that the city has ever seen. And that in itself brings glory to God because that marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. Let me pray for you and then we'll close. Father, as we come into your presence, we thank you that you're dealing with us. And, and God, I know this is not the kind of message that we walk out jumping up and down and shouting, but God, this is a, this is a life-changing thing. This is a generational-changing thing if we'll get this. Because, Lord, if our daughters can learn that this is how a man is supposed to treat his wife, and if our sons can learn what it means to be a godly husband and they can transfer that on to the next generation, God, then we have impacted countless thousands of people down the line that we don't even know yet, that are not even born yet. So God, I pray you'd help us. You know where we're weak. We know where we're weak. That's why we're coming to you for help. I pray God that you'd help the men to have the courage to, to take that step this week, one step, and that the women, Lord God, would, would be able to, to be a voice of encouragement and strength to their husbands. And we give you thanks and praise for all of this. And I pray, God, as we prepare to leave, that you would let your hand rest upon us, use us wherever we go, make us a blessing to people today, and help our lives point to Jesus today. We ask all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.